Welcome to the DadWork Podcast. My name is Kurt Storing, your host and the founder of DadWork. I'm joined today by Jim Ramos as we talk about how dads can become strong men in dangerous times. This was an excellent episode, guys. I loved having Jim on. He is of the the vintage that would be in my father's era just about. And so he got to deliver the wisdom that I, as a man in my mid-30s, don't yet have. And he has adult sons who he's raised to be successful men with families now. And it was so inspiring to get to hear what he has done along the way, what he's learned and what he's now teaching other men because he works with so many men doing this kind of thing. And I was very blessed to be able to get him on the show. We talk about everything from his five stages of masculinity, from the ascent to the peak and then the descent in order to finish strong. We talk about his four fatherhood Fs including Father Fidelis, Father Figure, Father Friend, and Father Forever. You want to make sure you know what those mean, guys, as you go through your own fatherhood journey, and so much more. Jim fired me up, and he also had a ton of really wonderful wisdom, so I'm so grateful for Jim. I'm going to read a little bio here. Jim Ramos is a best-selling author, speaker, and the founder of Men in the Arena, a nonprofit Christian ministry focused on equipping men to honor God and the leadership of their family, church, and community. He hosts the number one ranked Spotify podcast for Christian men, the Men in the Arena podcast, interviewing experts in Christian manhood and partnering with thought leaders like John Eldridge, Gary Chapman, Gene Getz, Patrick Morley, and Emerson Egricks. Ramos founded the 11,000 Strong Men in the Arena Facebook group and a global network of men in the arena virtual teams where men support each other as they work to become their best version. He's written numerous books, including the number one Amazon bestseller, Strong Men, Dangerous Times, which we talked about a little bit on this show, The Field Guide, a bathroom book for men, tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters. And I think, guys, he left a link at the end of this show, which we'll put in the show notes to make sure you get that. I think it's his free book on his website, and uh, I highly recommend you pick that up. And the five-book Strong Men Study Guide series for small groups. Jim lives in McMinnville, Oregon with his wife, Shauna. His goal is to live each day to its fullest with courageous abandon, according to Jesus' promise in John 10.10. He loves to hunt with his adult sons, enjoy the fitness lifestyle, take tropical vacations with Shauna, and listen to men share their stories over a dark-roasted Americano. I got to say, I agree with him on that point as well. All right, guys, if you want to find Jim online, go to Instagram, the men in the arena. Go to Twitter, Jim W. Ramos. Or you can find them on the web, meninthearena.org, where all of his resources are there for you to find out, dive into, and take action. All right, guys, we're going to jump into this one. This is excellent. How dads can become strong men in dangerous times. Let's go. All right, dads, welcome back to another episode of the Dad Work Podcast. I am extremely excited to have Jim Ramos on today because, man, I follow you on Instagram as uh, you guys all should as well. And the reels that you're putting out, especially, I mean, all your stuff is awesome, but the reels you're putting out, it hits so hard and it's just like smack upside the head. Like you were just saying, it's got to be the hard stuff that convicts guys and it convicts me every single time. So first of all, thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for being an inspiration and I'm incredibly uh, grateful that you're here with us today. So welcome and uh, we're going to get into it in a moment. How are you feeling? You know, I'm doing good, man. And I, man, you know, I hope that the messages are hard hitting, but grace-filled and not condemning because I don't want to shame men or 
this put guilt on them. You know, Romans 8, 1 says, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So my hope is that guys are inspired and encouraged, but I also realize that the best coaches out there sometimes push a little harder than the other guys. So my, my job is to coach these guys and I'm a, I'm a mid fifties guy. And so I want to, you know, I'm kind I'm ahead of the guys that we're targeting. And so I want to just say, Hey guys, I'm ahead of you. I've been here. I've been married to the same woman for 30 years, August 1st. I've got three adult children who I love and are, are just great young men. And let me just tell you what we did. And, and here's what the Bible says. And let's do this thing together. Yeah, man, that is so good. And that's where, uh, I mean, this is a, this is a new walk in faith for me. So I'm very excited to dig into this because I'm learning as much as everyone else listening and, you know, faith or not, this is going to be an amazing yeah. conversation because the principles are simply true and they follow across an entire subset of human beings, which is men. Yeah. And uh, I know that's different than, than, than males, which we're going to get into. Yes, in a moment. it is. Uh, but I think <laughs> the first thing we should do then, I see your book behind you, Strong Men, Dangerous Times. And I know that there's five essentials that you talk about in that book. And I wonder if you can run them off for us. And then I want to get into like how to cultivate these things. What are they? What do they look like? And we'll go from there. So can you just give us an idea about the book, about what you talk about in the book? And uh, we'll get into it. Yeah. Hey man, you're in, you're in Vancouver. So you're going to relate to this, but the guy's kind of uh, in central, uh, maybe in the plains of Canada. I may not understand this, but if you imagine a mountain, Okay, so these five essentials are actually uh, climbing a mountain, right? And so uh, these we call these our man cards. So these are the five things that really make up a man. And uh, we're a Christian organization, but when we came up with these five things, we wanted five things that were true across the board, across time and history, you know, history, uh, across demographics, across ethnicity, uh, that anywhere you go, guys would be like, man, this really resonates with me. And so at the trailhead is what we call, and now we put a progressive verb on everything because you can be this guy today and tomorrow you can fall off the wagon. So the trailhead of manhood is protecting integrity. That is the trailhead. And then as men, you know, that's, you know, uh, it's the start, it's the beginning, it's the foundation. Uh, we can get into this more later, but then the climb, the, the steep, sweaty, pain, uh, endurance, grind it out. Grit is required. Part of manhood is called fighting apathy. And apathy really, I believe, is the greatest battle a man will fight uh, because he's got to fight against all of the forces you know, pushing him down the mountain. Like we were talking earlier, you had a situation where somebody was asking what the pronoun of your baby's going to be. I'm like, hey, you know what? We have to resist that garbage and we have to push against that, not accept that. So, so that's, so we've got to fight, you know, there's a, there's a movement against men being good fathers and good dads and men. And we, we've just got to say, we're going to put that down. Uh, we're going to, we're going to shun anybody who says the nuclear family is not the number one way to go. And we're going to resist it. We're not going to sit back. So that's the climb. Uh, just like uh, I was working out this morning, I did a, a workout with my wife. We did five rounds of 50 reps and I'm doing this push up challenge. So it was really hard and sweaty. I'm gross. I hated it. But you know what? My body loved it, and it was great that I did it. So, And then the apex of manhood, so the summit of manhood, the top of the mountain, man, we is, is pursuing God passionately. And so we came upon this because I really believe that there is a God, and I believe that God made every human, and I believe that that God who made every human loves every human because what creator would hate something that he crafted with his own hands? Because I think there's a creator, because I think he loves me, I also think that 
he not only did he craft me, but he crafts people for a purpose. So he loves me. He made me. He has a purpose for me. And then the only way I can step into that purpose and fully embrace my best version is through radical commitment to the God who made me. So my theology is really, really simple. And then if you take that back, it would, it would, I would go break it down even further, but just we'll stop there for now. And so I just think that a guy, I think that when a guy surrenders his life to God, he, he enters this phase where he's a better, he has the potential to be the better man than he ever could have been otherwise. He, this stuff makes you more of a man than less. The descent is what we call leading courageously. And so it's a lot of times when you're descending a mountain after you've summited, you tend to lean back and relax because you've already summited. But actually the descent is where people really get hurt. More people die on Mount Everest every year on the descent than the climb because there's a, there's a lot of mistakes made there. But the bottom line is this. You can't get casual on the descent, and you can't get casual with leading your family. You can't rely on your wife. You can't rely on your church. You can't rely on your community. You can't rely on your government. You have to be the man to lead your family well. So that's the uh, descent. And then the trail's end is what I call finishing strong. And one of the things I noticed, Kurt, is that you know I'm 57 years old, man, and uh, it's amazing how many guys I've seen finish wrong. Uh, you know, and people in this world tend to think that a, a, an ending is a finish. No, a divorce is a fin- is a wrong finish. A suicide is a wrong finish. Um, getting quit, fired from your job is a wrong finish. You know, we have this weird vernacular going around nowadays that if I quit, I'm just saying I retired. I'm like, no, you got, you got canned, bro. And so call it what it is. Uh, but we want to finish strong. We want to finish every day as a, with an exclamation point and not a question mark. Ooh, yeah, man. Okay, yeah. so uh, I I almost want to marinate in that. <laughs> I know. That was, there, there's so much there in is. there because it's like okay, we can we can dive into all of this. Yeah. And the first thing, because it's so important, because I've been talking to a lot of friends about this recently, integrity. And this is like, it's so foundational. You're right. And I think there's a lot to do with self-respect and doing the right hard thing rather than the easy thing or the expedient thing. But can you just go into a little bit about integrity, what that is and how we actually become integrity, men of yeah, integrity? Yeah, so really integrity, the, the definition of integrity is is wholeness or completeness. It's this, it's this unified, unfractured, unbroken man, right? But we live in a fractured and broken world. And so all of us bring broken pieces to the program. But it's the man who is is growing to become his best version. And what there's two things um, uh, in Job. We see God in the book of Job saying that Job is blameless and upright. So blameless is to be a man that you nobody can point a finger at you. Like my little brother when he was in high school. So I was a 225 pounder in high school. My brother graduated 125, and uh, every so often he'll talk about the shoulder injury he had tackling a guy my size. And he ta- the way he tackled him is the guy, the guy ran over the top of my little brother. They called my little brother the stick man, not, not the hit man, the stick man. Anyway, this guy trucked the stick man, and as he's putting his cleat on his chest and then on his helmet, and my brother, my brother in desperation reaches up, and the guy's shoe was untied. And he grabbed his shoestring and tackled him, saving the touchdown. And so in the Bible, this word blameless, it's a Greek word. It's anapolepnos, and it means to have nothing to lay hold of. So it's like I have – it's being a man who has no loose shoestrings. So that's Mm -hmm. blameless. And then upright – I love the story of Adam Eve, right? Here's here's Eve. She's the prototypical, like, woman. I mean, can you just imagine, like – 
Can you imagine what she looked like? And no belly button. I mean, I mean, just can you imagine? She was just rad. Well, then here's Adam, you know. I mean, he probably looks like Dwayne Johnson, right? My wife says I look like Dwayne Johnson, <laughs> only she says, but you're not tall, you're not ripped, you're not black, and you're not handsome. I'm like, so I'm short, fat, what am I, a hobbit? Anyway, so 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 here's Adam, here's a prototypical man, right? So they disobey God, sinners enters the world. Now here's a prototypical man. Now realize God has made humans. We are the only animal species on the planet that walks upright with our sex organs proudly exposed. Think about this. There's no other animal. Well, you're from Canada besides Sasquatch that walks upright. (laughs) And so, but when Adam and Eve sinned, what happens? God finds them crouched over. He's crouched over covering his package, right? Because he's ashamed. He's no longer able to walk upright and on with full in full display. And this is the problem, man. Our, Our country has created a male that is afraid to walk upright and embrace his masculine self. And so when a man, a male transitions to man and he decides to to step up and to lead and to be the man he God's called him to be, he begins to walk upright with integrity, right? With no untied shoestrings. So that's what we're talking about. It's a fu- so it's a functional component of manhood, right? That he can be upright and it's a foundational component of manhood that he is blameless. Ooh, man, this is great stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> really hey, it's all in the book, buddy. <laughs> yes, no, you're doing you're doing thank it justice. You, that's you. for sure. And, and so, man, like when when I think about integrity, I think about you know to just to put it into like everyday action. Am I in integrity right now? Uh-huh. It's basically having the ability, first of all, to hear your conscience. Yeah, which I would suggest probably has to do with not falling into desire and sin that's going to take you away from yeah. that. But also then to do what it says. And that's sometimes hard in a world where, you know, you want to, you don't want to be canceled. First of all, you want to not step on too many feet because most men are passive these days. And I love what you said in uh, the fourth point about being casual, you know, being a casual man creates casualties as my, uh, my friend says, and, uh, and you know, you just can't be casual, but you have to step into doing the right thing. Is there anything that men who are like, look, man, I know I'm not living the life I need to live, but I'm kind of scared. I don't have a good father figure. I don't know what I'm doing here. Is there anything that men can do to become more in integrity? Is it small steps that are just right? Or is there like a massive transformation that guys need to no, go through? No, I, I actually think that I would say the first thing that comes to my mind is to get around men of integrity. Find some guys. There's this, I don't know, how you're 33? So, yeah. so I'm 57. So if you and I interact, there's a, what I call the old guy rule. So if we go out to coffee or we go out to lunch, I pay because I'm the old guy, right? If you take a 25-year-old dude out to lunch, you pay because you're the old guy. So what, and, and the problem, as you get older, the world tends to, you, you use this phrase, cancel, which I, every time I get canceled, I get way more followers. So I love, Joe, Joe <laughs> Rogan got canceled and he got more followers. I get canceled, I get more followers. So I'm okay with being canceled, but the moment... When, when the moment us guys, as a guy gets into his 60s, 70s, they are seen as, as not as valuable in America, at least probably in the West completely, probably Canada too. But that guy has so much to offer. I mean, I've got a friend, he sold his company for $7 million and he's passing out bulletins in a church. I'm sorry, $70 million. You know, I've got another man that brings in $30 million a year and he's kind of doing the same thing. And so the problem is we... We, we tend to discount those guys. So what I would tell a young guy is find an older dude he respects. Just go, hey, man, can we go to coffee? I have some questions. And you only have to ask the guy. He'll pay for the coffee, 
even though you invited him to have the coffee because it's the old guy rule. So that's the first thing I would say, man. And I think um, another critical, critical thing, and we're identifying this now in our ministry, we've got this massive gap, and the gap is plugging guys in from this uh, engaged follower to a committed participant. And I would just tell, I don't know what your audience is, but uh, if if my audience is a, a Christian audience, a lot of Christian guys, and we're telling those guys, get into a community. If your audience is not, not guys who are spiritual, I would say get into a mastermind group. Get into some – I've got a friend in Nashville has a mastermind group called Iron Sharpens Iron. Get into a group. Uh, get around guys who are going to push you and challenge you and pull – they're going to do three things. They're going to call you in to places you've never you would never normally go. They're going to call you out of your selfishness and your sin and your stupidity and your ignorance. Ignorance is not a bad thing, by the way. And then they're going to call you up to levels you've never gone before. You know, uh, uh, John F. Kennedy one time said, he's an American president who got assassinated in 1963. He said, uh, a rising tide causes all ships to lift. And so we want to get around guys that are above us so that we can lift. Mm, man, I, I can see that in my own life. I have a, a very, I'm, I'm very blessed that my grandfather, uh, is so active in my life. He's always been the man in my life. And I meet him by week. Oh, yeah. Every two weeks, we have a cigar, we have a small glass of wine, we have some lunch, and then I just get to pick his brain. And man, that has changed my life in so many ways. And I'm so grateful for that. And if you don't have it in your family, find a man. And that's why we do men's group. That's why we do community. That's why we do brotherhood. Yep. That's why we do masterminds, man. Like, I, I always want to be this, the, the dumbest guy in the room. I yep. want to be the least successful guy in the room. And I want to be around guys that are, like you said, whole. I don't want to be in like a business mastermind that's just like, hey, bro, let's make some money. Yep. It's like, hey, how are, how are you um, how are you as a dad right now? How's your marriage? And it's like, oh, dude, well, I've, I've made a million bucks, but actually, you know, we haven't looked at each other in the eye for about a year. It's like, oh, bro, let's go. And so that kind of uh, community of men Life-changing so for me, important. and I know so many guys. And hey, that. hey, who yeah. pays for lunch with your grandpa? It's not yeah, me. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's, he's not, it's the relative, but even if he wasn't a relative, it's the old guy rule. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. And I, you know what? That gives me great hope to one day be that old yeah. guy. Because in, uh, I think it was in um, John Eldridge's Father by God, he talks about the sage role. Yes, yes. And I think we have lost that role in society today. And I asked my grandfather about this. I said, why do old men get so old so quickly? And his suggestion was that once they leave the workforce, so much of the identity is wound up in who they are as an executive or a president or whatever. They step out of that and they've forgotten that they are a human being beyond that. And so I am looking forward, you know, God willing, I'll get there one day when I'm old, that I will be able to step into a role rather than step out of a role. And that would be the role. Man, you're your grandpa. I'm going to have him take me out to lunch, man. He sounds like, (laughs) yeah, he sounds, here's a, I got a guy coming on my podcast pretty soon. He actually wrote a book called Say. Yeah, so I think that's important. And what I would tell, what I would, our target audience is a a guy from twenty eight to forty five. He's got kids in the home. And what I tell these guys is, listen, your your job is not who you are. Your job is that your job is going to go away. It's not who you are. It's what you do. And so until guys can understand, which comes to our third point, right? Our, you know, we get to the climb. The summit is really where guys go. Oh, this is who I am. And they realize that. And so if, if I'm li- – any and listen, I would, tell, I, I would tell other guys, hey, man, your job is not worth your family. Whatever guy, whatever you put to the grindstone 
will be remembered on your tombstone. And you want to make sure the things that you're doing now are going to benefit those who will weep at your funeral. Because I'll tell you what, your people you work for won't weep with you. Your hunting buddies won't weep for you. Your golf buddies won't weep for you. But I'll tell you what, your wife and your kids, you better hope they weep for you. Because if they don't weep for you, uh, I don't know what you're – you screwed the pooch, bro. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and, and I can't tell you how many guys my age are going, man, I've got a million bucks – coming in every you know six months and i've got kids that don't like me and i got a wife who divorced me and i'm broken i got a friend right now who's a broken man uh, because and he's a he's got a probably 50 million dollar net worth because he's a workaholic yeah man that is so well said i I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and telling guys um you know the legacy that a lot of guys want to leave it's like oh man i got a university building named after me i got so much money it's like Bro, the legacy, the only legacy that matters is your family. Like, get that through your head. And it's like, oh, I love the way that you said that. The people who weep at your funeral, that is extremely convicting, man. I appreciate that. Um, Okay, so we've got integrity. talked about that. Fighting apathy. Let's go over this real quickly because I know I I don't want to run through each one of these because then we'll be out of time. I hear you. Fatherhood, ASAP. But apathy these days, this is so huge. And I think one of the hugest tools of the enemy these days is distraction, which creates apathy because you're so comfortable in where you're looking in your social media, you're watching Netflix, you're you know doing whatever. And then you wake up one day, 20 years from now, and you wind up as the guy you just said, which is, oh no, I'm broken yeah. and I don't have anything. And I think the opposite of this is it's care, obviously, but it's also intention. And that ties into something that I saw you post on Instagram the other day, which is playing the movie of your life. Yes. And I wonder if that ties in. I wonder if you can just talk about that real quick, because that's an awesome, awesome process. Yeah, we need to, especially, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to guys, I call it in the stress bubble. These guys are 30, 28 to 30 to 45, 50. And these guys are, are grinding it out. They're raising kids. They're all their resources are going to their kids and they're trying to put their wife, you know, ahead of their children, you know, loving her first. And they're just grinding it out, man. And they're just awesome dudes, but they get tired. And what happens is the word apathy is not in the Bible. The word apathy, I think the first time it was used was in 1563, 1583. And basically it means the, the inability to feel. The inability to feel so, or the inability to care. So when I take my knife, I can cut a callus right off my hand and I don't feel a thing. It, it looks gross. And you're like, oh man, that's gross. Is that a cool knife? You know, well, how much does that cost? Whatever. But the, the callus, that, but when I don't have a callus and I cut that hand, it's going to hurt like hell. And so we want to make sure we position every day of our life so that we feel, because if we decide instead of loving my children when I get home from work, because guys, you're not going to be remembered for your job. You're going to be remembered by what you've done from five o'clock to eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. So when you come home from work and if you sit on the couch for three hours, one night a week, I I would say, okay, that's okay, whatever. But you do that every night of the week, you're forming a callus. And so a callus on your hand is a -A C-A-L-L-O-U-S. Callus, I'm sorry, it's a -A -A C-A-L-L-U-S. But when your heart becomes calloused, it's C-A-L-L-O-U-S. When you have a calloused heart because you have failed to resist your weariness, your exhaustion after work, you failed to resist that over time as it compounds, it'll compound to an apathetic life that doesn't care or feel for the things that really should matter to him. Man, you're good at this, uh, eh? <laughs> hey, hey, thank you for I, saying hey. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, this is so good. Okay, so guys, if you want to go through and you know figure out how to lead con- courageously and finish strong, yeah, for sure. Okay, because I want to get in. I want to get into to fatherhood now, and maybe maybe we'll start with your own story of yeah, fatherhood. Yeah. Was this something that came naturally to you? How did you step into that role? <laughs> Well, there was a the penis way. and a vagina. Let's start. It's, yeah, I'm, just <laughs> I'm just kidding. The the pollen came and was delivered by the stork type of thing. No, I was. I did not plan. I mean, I I fell in love. You know, my two things, my two requirements for the woman I married were she's got to be pretty and she's got to love the Lord. And so I met that woman and she's got to be outdoorsy. So I three things. And so I married that woman and uh, we we have three sons from three different forms of birth control. So none of them were planned, but we kind of went two years apart. It was just kind of, I don't know, God did it maybe. But I remember, man, the, the day my oldest son James was born, the day, the second he was born, it was like something went click in me, and I just knew that this is, I was a father. And I just have never, gosh, it's emotional. I've just never looked back from that, right? I've always been a father. And so it, it's something that guys don't prepare for. Women prepare for it. They've been thinking about this stuff all their lives. Oh, I'm going to get married. I'm going to mar- meet a frog. I'm going to kiss him. He'll become a prince. We'll get married, live happily ever after. But we don't, guys, we don't think about that stuff. But so we have to position ourselves as a man and not a male, we have to step into the role as a man. And a man says, I'm going to accept responsibility and I'm going to, I'm going to be the man. I'm going to, there's like four phases of fatherhood in my opinion. And and I'm going to walk through those phases with my kids. And so that's what I did, man. So no, I did. And I had no idea what I was doing. Right. So I'm raising the first one, my wife and I, and then the second, and he's an extrovert we call him, we used to call him why. Everything was why, 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 why. Then my second one comes along and he's an introvert and everything was huh. So I've got why and I've got huh. Everything he'd say, huh, huh. He'd pretend like he didn't hear us. My third one comes along and he couldn't hear. He had hearing problems. He was always going, what, what, what? So I'm like, I got three kids. What, huh, and why? You know what I mean? They're all just so different. But you learn how to love each of those kids according to who they are. And as adults, it's funny. I interact with all three of them so different because of who they are. And so um, as far as a father grows, Kurt, I, I feel like I've gone through three of what I think are four phases of fatherhood. The first one is I call it father. This isn't in any book or anything. This is something I've been pondering So just lately. So the first phase, I call it father fidelis. That's the Latin for faithful. So, you know, when your kids are little, that you're just faithful, man. You're just showing up. You're showing up to, to change diapers. You're showing up to work. You're showing up to love those babies, mom. You're showing up to, to, to spend time with your kids. It's just a man who's it's it, faithful. Or Father Fidelis is a man, he's boring. He's so, he's so, he's so dependable, he's boring. His kids just expect him to be at the games. They just expect him to be in their life. It's boring. It's you know, it's not exciting like the dad who's never around, right? He finally showed up. It's boring. He's boring. The second phase is what I call father figure. You know, that's when your kids are ending their teen years. It's like you are a model for these kids because now they're saying, hey, well, you've been telling this stuff to us all our life, you know, our first 12 years, but now we're going to figure this out on our own. And if you didn't put out a good model, we're going to find a model that's going to work for us. This is where you have girls with daddy issues, right? And they go sleeping around trying to get get comfort in all the wrong places. 
So I want to be a father figure for my kids. I coached them in sports. I want to set a godly example in marriage, a uh, godly example, of, just an example in all as- fitness. You know, it's funny. All my kids deeply love their wives. All my kids uh, are own homes. They All my kids are into fitness and into health. You know, all my kids are into God. And so it, it's these are things that are so important, right, that, that our, our kids are watching us going, is this real for dad? And the third phase is what I call father friend. So my kids are 24, 26, and 28. This summer, I went backpacking with my youngest. We had an amazing, amazing fishing trip in the wilderness of Oregon. Uh, my other two boys, I've been doing a lot of elk hunting with them. And it's just so fun because now I'm their friend. I'm the, yeah, I'm going to coach them. I'm going to give them advice. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ki- still kind of do the dad thing. But I, they... When my kids left the house, now they have the they now choose the relationship, right? And this is where the workaholic goes wrong. My kids have to be in my home, but when they leave my home, they determine the temperature of the relationship. So my kids have determined I like dad and I want to be with dad because he's he's my father, but he's transitioned into a friend. Does that make sense? And the last phase, I just call it father forever. These are all f f words. Father forever. So this is that phase, the sage phase. This is the phase that your grandfather's in. This is the guy who's got the wisdom, who's bearing the fruit in his family with his children and grandchildren of a life well lived. So now I've got my first granddaughter, right? And so I'm beginning to move into a sage. I've kind of been this friend sage role, right? And so if we've done this right, like your grandpa did, he can enjoy that sage role and not have children and grandchildren moving back in the house because they're all losers like him. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, th- that's this, this father forever. It's when we enjoy this the beautiful fruit of legacy. Man, that beautiful. That is such a good breakdown. And uh, it's funny, one of the notes I had here is like, how does it change over time? Oh, just, yeah. Destroy that entire question, man. And the thing may, because most of the guys listening have kids probably under 13 in this show. Um, similar sort of audience, yeah. 28 to 45, businessmen, guys with jobs, that sort of thing. And they've got younger kids. Can you talk a little bit more? I know like being super dependable and being boring ideal, amazing. But what are some of the other things that our kids need from us growing up? And is it simply, as it is, I think, just being the man that some people say, you know, be the man you want your uh, sons to become and your daughters to marry. Is that most of it is showing up and showing them how? Um, what else comes up when I, when I yeah, ask Yeah, because that? you know what? That's a great question uh, because you can show up and not be physically or mentally or emotionally present. I'm not saying being in the same room. For example, when you, you just because you're going to your kids' games and you're there, you're physically present and they see you, and that's a beautiful thing. Honestly, it is. I'm not discounting that. But I'm talking about being more than physically present. I'm saying you need to be engaged in their lives. And so I think that guy, boys and girls have different needs. I, I raised three sons, but I'm telling you, from, from loving one woman and having a granddaughter and working with for 25 years of ministry with countless young ladies who's got a lot of issues because of dad, here's what, your boy, here's what the boys need to know. A father – in fact, I, this, I don't want to pitch this, but I'm going to – I have on my website, meninarena.org, I have a free book. It's free. It costs you an email, so I guess it isn't free. It's called Tell Them What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters. And I wrote this book when I was your age uh, as a reminder of what to tell my kids. 
So it's a really a really a wonderful. It's like 208 pages and it's free. So it's a great resource. But women, young women, need to know that they are enough. So what I tell the women in my life, I tell my my daughters-in-law, I tell my wife, I tell my granddaughter, I tell my niece. I just called my niece uh, two days ago. I said, hey, this is uh, Jim Ramos, and I'm calling the most beautiful, intelligent woman on the planet and my favorite niece. If this is you, call me back. Of course, I called my sister-in-law about an hour later just to check in. I like to check in. I said, this is your brother-in-law. Jim, I just called to tell you I'm thinking about you and I love you. Have a great day. She called me back weeping. She weeping because her own brothers don't do that. And so women need to know they're beautiful, they're enough, they're special. My granddaughter, I don't even call her by her name. I just call her the princess. And she'll say to me, Papa, don't you want to be with your princess? And so, and she'll often put herself in a situation where she forces me to rescue her. And so if a father, a father needs to be the guy that is rescuing his girls, he's telling them they're beautiful. He's telling them they're enough. He's telling them they're special. He's telling them they're worthy. They absolutely have to hear that. And a father needs to tell his son something different. They are different, right? A son needs to know he's got what it takes. My, we're in the middle of elk season. My son James is struggling, right? He's hunting alone. I went with him seven, eight days, I, eight, seven or eight days, but he hunted alone last week and he tapped out early and went home. I go, dude, I go, don't be a pansy. You're better than that. When you get out there, you just make your mind up because you're, you're going to get it done. You've got this. So with my kids, I tell them, you, my boys, you've got what it takes. There's, you've got it. You've got this. And so they need to know, because that's the question you quoted John Eldridge. You know, John Eldridge uh, says in Wild at Heart that the the, the underlying question in every man's mind is, do I have what it takes? And it's the dad to say, you do. And so I think you get a father who's affirming the the worthiness and the beauty and and the, and the, the unique uh, the uniqueness and how special his women, his girls are, and he's affirming his sons that they've got what it takes. If that that guy is going to produce superhuman children, I guarantee it. Ooh, that's so encouraging. Yeah, I that guarantee is so encouraging, it. man. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's so good. And and I guess like I, I talk to a lot of dads, and the worldly view, the the common cultural view is like, oh no, teenagers. And it's like, well, the, from what I'm hearing from good mature men who I respect is. Actually, this is the best time. That's yeah. And did did you experience that? Like yeah. when you raise them up in the way they should go, presumably they're not just going to switch when they become teenagers. And yes, there's things that they're going to do. They're going to push. They're going to like find their own independence and see where the boundaries are. But they should actually be a little bit closer to being that adult who can do things and see things, and you can do things with them. That sounds exciting. Yeah. I think. Was that your? So experience? you quoted Proverbs twenty two six: train up a child in the way he should go. When he's older, he not depart from it. And that literal, the literal Hebrew translation is train up a child according to his bent, according to his makeup, according to how he's different than the others. And so I'm going to give your guys an illustration because I'm a visual guy. My whole office is full of visual things, right? So I'm going to imagine, so imagine uh, you go to a tire store, all right? Or no, let's say you go to your, you go to a fitness center. You know those workout rubber bands they have? Okay, you get one of those workout bands. Here's, here's, here is how a father should parent in the teen years. I'm telling you, this is the way to do it. And I learned this from my dad. You put that rubber band around you and you put it around your kids. So let's say you're my son, Kurt. So I put the rubber band around you and I put it around me, right? 
that teenager is going to go out and seek his own independence. And so I just let my kids do it. I let that rubber band stretch, 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 stretch. And at some point, though, I go, you know, that's far enough. And I come in. I bring it, I bring it back. I re-engage. So you're in this constant rubber band tension with your teenagers, letting them explore, but not too far. You don't want to hover over them. You don't want to helicopter dad. You don't want to give them the participation trophy. You don't want to be a bulldozer dad. But you want to give them enough, enough room to go out there and explore, but that they realize that you're always close enough where they can come. You don't, you don't allow a separation that's going to be too drastic. And so what has happened is when my kids were teenagers, we did that. And now as adults, they want to be around because they're used to the independence, but they're used to dad being close, even in the midst of them being independent. And I think if a guy can use that rubber band illustration, it is a game changer through the teen years. That's excellent, man. And you know what? I, I, um, I love the inspirational big picture stuff. And I'm like, well, I got you here. Let's talk about discipline. <laughs> uh, so what, what has worked for you? Because this is, this is something that I'm exploring as, you know, th- things are changing in my life in terms of beliefs and faith and stuff like that. And I'm trying to figure out what is the best way to instill this discipline that's talked about so much because I love being rebuked, maybe not when it happens, but afterwards it's a gift. And it talks about that a lot in the Bible, obviously. But um, I'm looking at what does that actually mean? Because there's a lot of parenting stuff out there that I had been following before that was very, maybe not permissive, but you know, a lot of it's very feeling-based, very emotional, and that works to make them emotional and feeling-based, but it doesn't always work to correct the behavior and instill discipline. So I wonder what you have done. Let's just say the average, you know, 10-year-old sort of disobeys or does something wrong. Like, what's a good thing? Because I think there's a couple angles to it, but I'm curious to hear what you Okay, think. well, first of all, uh, we're, you're, you're raising your kids. My kids were raised in a generation. Well, you're the, my kid, you're the age of my sons. So, you know, the, the technology, they were getting cell phones. Most of them were flip phones. They were using T9 to text. They weren't smartphones. I think, and remember that? I think yeah. in 2008 or not, or what was it? Eight or nine was the first smartphone. I can't remember. So this, so your kids are raised in a generation of smartphones, right? So you, they have a $1,200 phone in their hand. You're paying uh, you know, X amount of dollars a month for this phone. So I want to stop there, and I want to say this to parents. Rule number one in being a parent is you are the parent. That's the number one rule. You are their parent. At the four phases of fatherhood, you're not their friend until they're in their 20s and move out of the house. When they're in your home, you are the parent, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that I would say uh, to parents is they, while in your home, must obey your household values. So in our family, we said, hey, guys, you're going to go to church twice a week. Uh, your dad works at a church, and I don't care where you go to church. I don't care what youth group you're in, but you're going to pick and you're going to go, right? And so we had c- certain things that we – my kids had – cars given to them by their grandparents. So I said, okay, great. How are you going to pay for your insurance and your gas? Well, what? I go, get a damn job. So they did. They got jobs. My youngest son was a four, three-sport athlete all four years of high school, had a job, got a 3.9 grade point average. So I was the meanest dad on the planet, but I raised an ex- I've raised three exceptional kids, all three with college degrees. Because I, I, I refused as a parent to allow them to become soft because I'm spoiling them rotten. 
I think a mistake a lot of parents tell their kids is, well, your job is to go to school. That's your job. I go, oh, hell no, it's not a job. Your job is to get a job. Go to school to get grades. But if you have a car and you think you want to buy it, get a job. Get a real job and get grades and play sports. So, And then I would say uh, the third thing, I'm not getting into like spank your kid, yell at your kid, because these things are way – these are predominant things over the actual discipline itself. The third thing is this. This permissive thing with parents, that you know, if you're going to be permissive and laid back, all that tells me is that you hate your child. The Bible says that the father who does not discipline his kids hates them. So I love my children, and I love my children. And because I love my children, I discipline them. Just like a, a good—that's what a good father does, man. That's what God in heaven does, man. He disciplines me. He tests me. He tries to make me my best version. And it's not easy. There's a lot of resistance. It's like I was working out this morning in the gym. That sucked. But man, I'm stronger because of it. I can do the peck dance right now if you want me to. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Anyway, but I'm just saying, but I do things I don't want to do. And then the the fourth thing is this, man, and this is going to really hurt uh, the my generation, the baby, the boot busters, or gen, we're called Gen Xers. We really did the millennial parents of disservice. And and we also have raised gener- generation Zers, so we have we raised millennials and Zers, and here's where we failed massively failed as parents. You need to let your kids experience danger. Put allow them to be in situations that will challenge them, right? Not only encourage you don't don't. Pre- don't hover over them. Don't guard and protect them because at some point they're going to get out there and the world's going to freaking destroy them because they're so soft. So you as a parent need to, with that rubber band, right, you're going to let your kid get into a dangerous situation. He may get hurt. He may get wounded. But you're going to allow him to step out, and then you're, you're there for him. But we have to allow our kids to get cut from their basketball teams. I mean, that didn't hurt Michael Jordan very much. He got cut from his high school basketball team. You know, we've got to allow our kids to have dating disasters. We've got to, don't get me wrong, we want to be wise in all this, but we have to allow our children to experience the repercussions of their stupid choices. And we need to allow that. And I'm not saying let them run free, obviously, but I'm saying we need to stop hovering over our kids because we're making them weak. Mm, man, that is so good. I, I have, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot because one of the things that hurts most as a dad is seeing your kids yes, hurt. Yes, I know. And so it becomes one of those natural things where it's like, oh, I got to protect them. But you know what? And when I think back in my life, every single thing that's good about it came because I failed or there was a hard thing. Yeah. So why would I take that opportunity for my kids? And uh, I think- Well, I was going to say, I've got a friend of mine right now, a dear friend. His kid is a great athlete. His kid's a starting varsity quarterback as a sophomore. Now, I realize in COVID, uh, he missed two years of middle school because of COVID, and then he broke his elbow last year and had surgery. So he's only got half a season, and 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 he's ha- he's struggling a little bit. And his dad said, yeah, we're just really trying to protect him right now. I'm like, oh, don't do that. Let the crowds crucify. He's the quarterback. The quarterback is the hero or the zero. You're either in the penthouse or the outhouse. And if he doesn't learn to deal with adversity, he's never going to be a great quarterback. So you have to let him experience that danger without protecting him from all of the things around him because it's coming, baby. (laughs) So I I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this from my buddy going, that's the wrong approach. 
He's he. Your son is stepping yep. out to be the hero. Stop protecting him. The hero's the guy who's who's going against all go- odds to to defeat this mortal enemy, right? Totally. Yeah. One of the things I heard, I think it was um might have been in Dylan Roos on my podcast. He suggested that parents ought, if the kids are going to do something that breaks their arm, let them do it. If the kids are going to do something that kills them, okay, yeah. maybe you know, lead, direct, yeah. whatever sort of thing, you know. But like that's the those are the two differences rather than might they get a small scratch? Oh no, don't do this. And he called it uh lawnmower parenting because people are riding their kids oh. and like Ooh, dude, that's that is rough. I call that, I call that bulldozer. <laughs> they're they're knocking down oh, all the man. obstacles, right? So there's their kids yes. have a clean path. Oh, and like, so well, if if you do that for your kid, then what's going to happen when there is an obstacle? Like, if 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 you're always, it's just. But see, but the problem is, my generation, bro, my generation. We're, we were all about fun. I mean, you think about the 80s, you think of pink, you think of you know mar- the mullet party in the business in the front, party in the back. You think of uh, pink, yep. you know, neon colors. It's all fun, 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 fun. So my generation has been all about having fun, right? That's what the 80s are known for. But the problem is life is not fun. Life is, it's hard. It can be brutal, man. I got a, a guy I'm doing a Bible study with right now. He's dying of cancer. So we're doing a Bible study on heaven. He's a 65-year-old guy, right? Life is brutal, man. So we've got to be careful. Uh, my generation has to be careful because not everybody wins. Not everybody makes a team. Not everybody can be have an A in the class. And so, um, man, because life, that's life. And so I think as, got, as parents, we've got to really use wisdom there. Totally. Yeah, man. So let's talk last thing about like, the guy who's listening to this, and he's like, dude, I'm ready to go. What sorts of steps would you suggest for a man who's entering this from not living a life in integrity? Maybe he's apathetic. Maybe he's not leading courageously. What are some of the things? I know we talked about this in terms of integrity, getting around other men and not being, uh, you know, with a calloused heart. Is there something else that you encourage guys who are kind of new to this space yeah. going like, dude, I want to be like this, but I don't know if I can work out all the time. I don't know if I can do this. Like, Jim's a pretty hardcore guy. What do I do to become the man I'm Well, to be? I would just say this, man. Bro, you're already doing it. You're listening to this podcast. So you could have been listening to country music on the way to work. You could have been, you know, listening to YouTube, but you're listening to this podcast. So I would say that these guys that are listening to this podcast are already stud level to me, right? They're like, they're like the studs in the in the corral, right? So now we got to get them out of the corral and get them running. And so I would say take the next step, guys. So for us, what we tell guys is we say, okay, we're going to give you a ton of content. We've got, you know, 46,000 followers on TikTok. We've got 24,000 on Instagram. We've got number one podcast on Spotify for Christian men. We've got tons of free content for you. But at some point, and this is where I would say, at some point, and I'm not pitching my own thing, this guy has to say, I'm going to stop doing the free stuff and I'm going to make an investment. I'm going to go to the gym and get a membership. I'm going to go buy a book. I'm going to get, I'm going to pay money to get into a mastermind group. I'm going to pay money to get in this group, you know, whatever program they're going to make an, an actual investment of time and resources to grow. That's what I've been doing all my life. I've, I read 60 books last year. I'm on path to read 50 this year. I read three this week alone. Right. And so I'm, I'm passionate about that investing in personal growth. So I would say that that would be the next step. Begin to have it cost you a little bit and find things that you resonate with. And if they're listening to your podcast, they resonate with you, Kurt. So I don't know if you have a next step for them. Uh, you know, there should be a next step. Maybe you're coaching these guys. Maybe there's a small group for them. 
Uh, for us, we tell the guys, go to manarena.org, click join the program button, and get involved in one of our many virtual teams that happen all around the world. That's what we tell guys. So uh, that's really the next step for these guys. And then after that, they'll they'll want to take another step. I would say the key, yeah, the key thing here, including, I'm sorry, is this. I'm 56 go, go. years old, and I'm still not in my sweet spot. So I would tell these guys, mm. you never stop growing. You never stop growing. If you have a pulse, you have God has a purpose. So don't ever stop growing. Don't ever stop trying to have that six pack. Don't ever stop trying to have that that master, you know, master that craft of yours. Don't ever stop doing that. Yeah. Action is the answer. Absolutely. Guys. And I think that's like that that's such a perfect way to end it because you get all this content, you're listening to the podcast, and then what? If your life doesn't change today or tomorrow, what are you doing? And I think for me that a lot of this stuff is driven by understanding just how important this yeah. role is. And as a father, literally nobody else can take your role. As a husband, literally nobody else can take your role. You are the yeah. only person and nobody's coming to save that you. That is true. And if you're not the one stepping up, if you're not the one stepping up to lead your family, nobody else is and your family will suffer. Can you? How could you take that on? Now that you know, if you've never thought about that, first of all, your head's in the sand. But second of all, now that you know, you have to take action. And I agree wholeheartedly. I just uh, I just became a member of a coaching program that was uh, definitely not cheap. But man, I have been on fire since I joined that thing because I've got skin in the game. And now it's just non, it's non-negotiable. Absolutely. So man- Jim, thank you so much. This has been absolutely fire. I'm going to go away from here and just crush the rest of my day now. Uh, but where, I think you've mentioned a couple of times, but where can guys find you and what's the best way to do uh that? Yeah, if they just go to men in the, honestly, meninarena.org will give you access to all of our resources. If they want to follow us on social media, it's basically the men in the arena. Don't look for Jim Ramos. I don't care about Jim Ramos. Jim Ramos doesn't need to be remembered. What needs to be remembered is the God who made you and that you live for that guy. So go to our organization. We're going to point you in that direction and we'll point you away from Ramos. So men in the arena or the men in the arena will get you to where you need to be. Beautiful. Jim, thank you so much for all this, man. I'm feeling blessed with all the wisdom you shared. So thank hey, anytime, you brother. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to the Dad Work Podcast. That's it for this episode. But if you would like to stay in touch between weekly episodes, why don't you go over to Instagram and follow me there? Because I drop a number of things throughout the week that are related to what we talk about on this podcast, but usually go a little bit deeper, provide some tips. You can find me on Instagram at dadwork.curt. That's D-A-D-W-O-R-K dot C-U-R-T. And please, if you have been getting something out of this podcast, if it has touched you, if it has improved your marriage, your parenting, or your life, would you please leave a quick review on Apple or Spotify? Leave a rating. If you have a few extra seconds, leave a quick review. That's the best way that we can get this work in the hands of more fathers. And I truly believe that we change the world one father at a time because each father that parents better, that loves better, raises children who do the same. And in just a couple of generations, I feel like we could be living in a world much better than the one we live in today. Your review will help along that path. And I thank you so much for being here to listen. Until next week, we'll see you then.